0: We want to thank you for being a part of our new series, Together. Throughout this series, we're going to take a look at the incredible bond, love, and devotion we can experience in our marriages and home, understanding the bliss God wants us to live in. So sit back and listen and allow God's word to change your life.
1: Come on, say it with me, Together, yeah. together, what God has joined. Together, let not man or nothing separate. That's our scripture, Matthew 19, verse 6. And that's our goal for marriage. That's our goal for your life. And again, we understand everyone's not married in here. Don't shut off and say, well, this series is not for me because I really believe every week we have taught principles for your life that work in relationships. They work in your life and they're going to work one day when you hopefully plan to be married if you're not already. And we're just really enjoying this. I've really been enjoying too the breakout sessions on Wednesday night. It's just been fantastic to be able to speak into the life of the single people as well as the life of the marriage. We're really excited for this Wednesday. Kelly is going to be speaking to all the men in the house. Come on, where's all the men in the house? She's going to be telling you exactly how to make that wife of yours happy. And that's going to take, I think, about 14 hours for just the first part. And then they're just only plan. But it's just going to be a great, great evening. And then I'm going to be in here with some of the guys and we're going to be talking to all the ladies and just telling them what guys need. And believe it or not, it's not just sex. Amen. And There are other things that we need. So we're going to be talking about valuable information. Today I really intended to talk about Pursuit and passion in your marriage. How to keep your marriage fresh and alive. Because especially with men, we trend, tend to be more goal-driven. That's how men tend to be wired. And when we conquer, it's, we're looking for a new challenge. We're looking for something else to conquer. And it's not that we want a different wife. And it's not normally you we want to change. But there's other things in our lives. Maybe a new career or new hobbies or habits. That's just the desire or just the way that men are made. And we must realize that without active and continued pursuit, what has been won can be lost. What, can be, what has been won can be lost. So we need to establish the habit, or better said, the lifestyle of constantly winning each other's hearts each and every day. Men, do what you do best. What is that? Pursue her. Come on, enjoy the chase. But ladies, do what you do best. What is that? Invite us to pursue you. Come on, love being chased. And don't let your marriage become a statistic that states that after marriage, the romance, the pursuit... The thoughtfulness vanishes quickly and passion cools down to sub-zero temperatures. Come on, break out of routine and mediocrity. Keep it fresh, keep it hot, and keep it happening. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Mum and Dad, Dean and Arnold would love to sit down and talk to you about what that means at the end of service. But that's what I plan to talk about. And just talking about pursuit and passion's got a romantic kind of thought to it. But the more I try to present and bring those truths, I just really felt God was steering us in a very important other direction. And I always want to be obedient to what God wants to say because it's not what I want to say. I need to hear what He needs for me to hear and for me to say. And today I want to talk about how we can work through the hurts, how we can work through the rejections and the conflicts and the pains, the unforgiveness that we allow to build up in our hearts, in marriage, in relationships. To whatever extent or to whichever extreme that may be in your life today, I don't know. But I'm telling you, the answer is always the same and the answer is forgiveness. The answer is to forgive, to let go, to not hold a grudge against each other. On Wednesday night, as I was talking to the singles about implementing the right habits in their life pre-marriage, pre-marriage, before being married, getting it right in your life, we talked about making your life attractive and being eligible to those around. One of the habits we talked about, I think, is very important, and I want to share with you today this, and that is... I will practice facing and resolving conflicts. I want to add another word in there, and that goes like this. I will practice facing and resolving all conflicts. All conflicts. Healthy couples are not couples that never fight. Did you know that? Healthy couples are not those that never fight. In fact, I kind of h- hate that word to use, that fight, because the image of a fight many times, you see two people in a ring like boxers with boxing gloves just knocking the snot out of each other and bloody and beaten. That's not the picture. But healthy couples are that—they're not those that never have a conflict or a disagreement or a difference. Marriages are healthy because couples learn to face and work through their problems together. We're going to fight in our homes. We're going to have differences. We're going to have conflicts. We're going to have things that are going to come up. But what we've got to do is we've got to learn to fight fair. We've got to learn to fight fair. I was reading this week, about Ruth Bell Graham. Ruth Bell Graham is the wife of the evangelist Billy Graham, arguably one of the greatest modern-day evangelists that has touched more people throughout this world than anyone else for Christ. And someone went to her not too long ago and said, what is the secret of 60-plus years of marriage to your husband with him being such a public figure and just all the pressures and the pulls and him going and all this. How did you, what is the success? What is the secret? How did you develop a successful marriage? And look what she said. I love what she said. And this is where we've taken the title for our message today. She said, Marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Marriage is is the union of two good forgivers. People who will not hold a grudge, but are willing to let go and are willing to forgive. Unless you're living in total denial today, you and your spouse, even probably today, have done something or said something that has annoyed or frustrated each other. You know, Kelly and I, that is not the case with us because I left the house and Kelly was still in bed. We haven't talked today. We haven't seen it. But you know what it is? If not today, then this week, throughout this time, there's been something, and it may not be divorce material, it may not be something major that you're calling all your friends about, but it's something inside that you've said, man, that was kind of rough. That was a little bit harsh. Wow, that kind of frustrated me. That kind of upset me. And that's why forgiveness is absolutely necessary if you want your marriage to last. Oh, we've got a great relationship, but your marriage can be greater. Your marriage can be better. And the tool that I believe can take it to the next level can be forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Throughout this Olympics, I've been watching the Olympics. I don't know if you like that. I've been watching it every night and really enjoy always the Olympics. I tell my kids all the time, you need to watch this. This is history. You're going to look back and say, I watched 2014 Olympics with my dad and stuff, but they just don't get it like I do. And anyway, but there's been some great commercials on TV for the Olympics talking about different athletes and you see them on the medal stand, you see them holding up their gold medal or their silver or their bronze and then their life goes in rewind. Has anyone seen that commercial? I believe it's for Visa or something like that and their life goes in rewind and you see them fall, and you see them failing, you see them doing all these things and then as a child you see them and, and then it says this, here's the caption, paraphrase, but it goes like this, behind every big story, There are many small ones. Thinking of before they can get to the place where they're on top of the world, there's a lot of small stories that have taken place to bring them to that place. I want us to think about that in the thought of forgiveness. We've got to avoid the big ones by dealing with the small ones. We've got to avoid coming to that place where we can say, well, I just cannot forgive them anymore. Why? By what? Dealing with the small, everyday things that perhaps may seem mundane, but they are important. If it's something that you feel, if it's something that you sense, it's important to you. You need to deal with that. You need to handle that. Conflict is unavoidable in marriage. Conflict is unavoidable in marriage. You don't even have to go looking for it, trust me. It's going to be looking for you. And it's going to find you. Whether you are the offender or whether you are the offended today, whichever side you can relate to, you need to hear this message today. I realize that there are some here that are sitting under the sound of my voice today that think that there is no way that I could ever forgive them. Speaking about our spouse, I can never forgive them for the massive betrayal that they have brought to my life, that type of betrayal that cuts deep and leaves the most lasting scars. But I want to give you hope today and tell you that it's possible, that you can forgive, that forgiveness is a choice that you can choose to make today. And then there may be others on the other side that may say, well, these are just small things. They're nothing big. They're nothing of greatest importance. Really, 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 it's the small things that if they're not handled will become the big things. Behind every big story, there's a whole lot of small ones. You see, if forgiveness or unforgiveness rather is not dealt with at any level in your life, It will not only destroy your marriage, but do more than that. It will perhaps even destroy your life. But what you've got to understand today is this. Many of us carry that guilt and that shame. Many of us carry that hurt, that pain of perhaps things we've said or done. And we question and we ask, if someone loved me, how could they do that to me? We even question and ask, if God really loves me, why would he allow these things to happen in my life you've got to understand you're not alone in those thoughts today you're not alone in your pain you're not alone in your grief you're not alone in your guilt you're not alone in the wish that you had that you could bring those words back but I want to tell you today that you can make a fresh start today Today can be a new opportunity. There's no greater day than a new beginning, a fresh start, than right now. Oh, but Pastor Philip, you don't understand. Listen, today's a new day. Today's a new opportunity that you can choose today that your marriage is going to go to places that it's never gone before. You can choose that your life is going to go to places as you release those things, as you forgive those things, as you let go of those things, because it's never over with God. I don't care what you think. When God is still living and breathing, and He is... He's not dead. He's alive. When God is living and breathing and He is able or welcomed into our home, into our marriages, into our lives, into our relationships, it is never over with God. Never over with God. Remember what I talked about the habit or the practice that we needed to look at. And that is this. I will practice facing and resolving all conflict. I want to break that down and look at that a little bit today. Let's look at the first step and that is to face it. Say with me, face it, not hide from it which is our tendency in conflict or in wrong. Isn't that the tendency? When we do something wrong, we want to hide. We don't want to see that person. We just want to stay away. I know we had a situation last night in our house. Luke was at the neighbor's and something went on there and he got in trouble with the neighbor and just different things like that. He came in the house and he was 10 minutes before he came through to see me. That's not like Luke. Normally when he comes in, he'll walk straight in, just let you know he's home. But there was something that was wrong. I could just sense it. And then he came in and he stood beside the couch and he just put his head down. Parents, have you ever seen that? Just put his head down. You know what's coming straight away. We talked about it. We sorted it out. It was a misunderstanding. I called the parent down the street. Everything's good. So don't worry about it. Luke is fine. Everything is good. It was good. It was a misunderstanding. But isn't it amazing? I know what he was going through. He was in his room saying, I don't want to face mum and dad. But then there was something inside of him said, but I've got to face mum and dad because what if Mr. Seth down the street calls mum and dad? They're going to find out because mum and dad always finds out. I don't know how they do it, but mum and dad always find out what a tendency there is in our lives to try and hide. But it's amazing, does hiding change the circumstance?" Does it solve the problem? No, it creates a bigger problem. And you see, that's what we've got to understand in our relationships, in our marriages. Maybe something's been done or something's been said. There's a tension in the room. So what do we do? We remove ourselves. We hide. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to face it. And here's what we've told ourselves. If I just stay away long enough, it's going to go. Maybe with men, it will, ladies. Men can tend to forget. But I'm telling you right now, guys, she's not going to forget it. Come on, I'm not getting much support from that. But that's the truth. She's not going to forget it. She may not bring it up today or tomorrow or the next week. But when you just do something so small, she's going to be like a volcano and she's going to erupt. And you're going to say, what's the deal? All I did was left my shoes out. And she's going to say, that's all you think. You left your shoes out. But the other day you went to bed and you didn't talk to me. And you did this and you did that. (laughs) Where did it come from? We maybe don't understand it all, but guys, we're not innocent to it all. But that's the tendency that we have is to run and the tendency we have to hide. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the garden. Let's see where it all went wrong so we can put it all right. Is that good? Look what it says again in Genesis 2 verse 25. They were both naked, and the man and his wife, and they were not Ashamed, or they were not in shame of each other. I love this passage. They were so open, there was nothing to hide. You see, before sin infected humanity, there was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no secrets. There was no skeletons in the closet. There was no fear that Adam was going to find out something because Eve had done nothing wrong. They had such an intimacy with each other and God an intimacy with each other and God. That's a key truth or a key factor there, that your marriage is not two people, your marriage is three people. But you know the problem today is the third person is the wrong person that we've chose today. Because the third person, instead of being God, the one that wants to be there and help us through it, that third person today has been the person who sits beside us at work, that wants to hear to our problems. Come on, that third person has become money in our relationships. That third person has become our career. That third person has become social media. Instead of talking on the couch, we're texting, we're, we're on Facebook, we're Instagramming, we're in everyone else's life. But the life that's most important is sitting beside us, dying and withering away. Come on, that third person has become popularity. That third person has become pornography. That third person has become drugs. That third person has been replaced. And really, he's not the third person. He's the first person. Your spouse is the second, then you're the third. But you know what I'm saying? There's three people to make a successful relationship. There has to be three people to make a successful relationship. And God has to be there. So there was intimacy between each other and with God. That was the relationship that they had. Not my message, so move on. They never had to say, I'm sorry. They never had to say, I blew it, I messed up. They never, sort of sh- they never had to say, I shouldn't have said that. But what you must see in this nakedness, in this perfectness, it didn't take Satan long to come into that position, to come into that place, to mess it up, to bring about a wrong choice. just started with a choice. And that's where it falls with every one of us when we choose not to forgive each other. In fact, in this story, we're going to see the three types of sin, and you could preach a whole message on this. Did you realize that sin can be under three separate headings? Sin is always the same way. Satan used the same tactics that he used against Adam and Eve is the same tactics he uses with us. Look what it says in Genesis 3, verse 6. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes. Come on, say with me, the lust of the eyes. The first type of sin is the lust of the eyes, okay? And when she saw that the tree was desirable, she liked it, it looked good, and she thought it's going to be good. That's the second type of sin. It's called the lust of the flesh. Say with me, the lust of the flesh. And then the last one is that would make her wise. In other words, as you would read the story, Satan says, you'll be like God. She wanted to have wisdom like God. So the third type of sin or the area of sin or the heading of sin is the pride of life. Say that with me, the pride of life. What did she do? She took its fruit, she ate it, she gave to her husband and he also ate. Every sin that we face will fall under one of those three types, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh or the pride of life. You begin to look at it and ask yourself, and many times they are more than just one of those things. But Satan tempts them anyway to sin, and what happens? Look what it says in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves a covering. Here's the beginning part the shame has come, their covering. The action of their life. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. A regular occurrence that God would come and talk with them and be with them. And what happens? Adam and his wife did what? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. They covered and hid from God. That's our natural response to shame. That's our natural response to guilt, to conflict, to disagreements—is to cover ourselves. Come on, to cover, to make an excuse for ourselves. Well, you just don't understand. You don't know how I was brought up. Hold on. The Bible says I've got to leave my father and mother. I've got to leave my past behind. Come on. But we use these things as a big cover-up. It's a, well, you just don't. We try to justify them and then we hide, which is to excuse our. Life, our actions, our words. Look at this statement. Separation and isolation so often feel safer. Safer to separate yourself. It's safer so many times to isolate yourself. But as long as we hide, our Father can never clean up our mess. They hid from the one that could help them. I know Kelly and I right now are going through a home with a four-month-old little baby. There's some mess to clean up. He's not crawling around. It's the other type of mess in his diaper. There's a mess that needs to be cleaned up. But wouldn't we be awful parents if we just left him in that mess? Our desire is to do what? To clean him up, to fix him. That's what God wants to see happen in your relationship. It's not that you're not going to mess up. We all mess up. It's not that we're going to not say the wrong thing, because we will say the wrong thing. We're trying not to, but sometimes the harder we try, the more we still say it. Paul talks about that there's a constant struggle inside of us between sin and the flesh. Come on, between godliness and the spirit man and the flesh man, there's a struggle inside of each one of us. But we've got to learn to realize we've got to come to God so He can clean us up, that we don't have to leave ourselves wallowing in our mess which will end up creating bigger problems. Behind every big story, there's little stories. There's a whole lot of little stories that will become big problems, causing separation or a wedge between the two of us. Let's look really quick, if we could, at Satan just to understand this next point. I'm going to give you three scriptures. There's a lot of scriptures in reference to Satan. But let me just quickly give you three. John 8, verse 44 says, For you are the father of the devil, the desire of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because he has no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resource, for he is a liar and he is the father of it. In other words, Satan's a liar. Okay, understand that. He lies. If you want to know if Satan's lying, if his lips are moving, then he's lying. He's incapable of telling you the truth because even partial truths are really a whole lie. So he's a father of lies. Look what else we see of him in Ephesians 2 verse 2. And this is going to make a point, so stay with me. If you look in the middle of that verse, it says, According to the prince of the power Of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So, what do we see? He's the prince of the powers of the air. He's working in lives, in disobedience, in the sons of disobedience. Revelations 12, verse 10, the last part, it says, For the accuser of the brethren, of our brethren, who accuses them before God day and night has been cast down. So, I want you to see this. He's a liar. He's the prince of the air and he is an accuser of your life. He's wanting to pass false accusation constantly about you to God. He's going and saying, but God, do you not see what they're doing? That's a type or a picture of Satan. It's not him in his entirety, but that gives a pretty good and vivid picture of what he's all about. So what does that mean? Let me help you. That means if he's a liar, he wants to manipulate your words. That means if he's the prince of the power of the air, he wants to take our lives, our actions, everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we are, he wants to take those and he wants to mess with those things, to destroy our lives, because he's making accusation against us, trying to get God to take us out, trying to get God not to love us, but I'm here to tell you right now, nothing he can say or nothing he can do would ever stop God from loving you, so therefore, he's really gone another route, and he just tells you that God doesn't love you. He lies to you. He's a liar. He's not true. So how does that play out? Let me try and present that then in our marriage, When the husband comes home, he may say something very innocent and just kind to his wife. And he may say these words, Hey, sweetheart, good to see you. When is dinner going to be ready? Just a harmless question. Making conversation. When's dinner ready? He wants to know if he's got time to go and have a shower. He wants to know if he's got time to just come and clean himself before the food. But those words begin to travel through the air where Satan's the prince of the air. Come on, they began to begin to travel in the realm of the father of lies. They begin to travel into the place of the accuser of the brethren. And before they land on the ear as a communication to your wife, Satan has twisted them and change them before they arrive. So what she hears is this. Why is dinner not ready yet? All of a sudden, he's just asking kindly, what time is dinner going to be ready? Now she's hearing, dinner's not ready yet. She's hearing a disapproval message coming through something that has been so innocently spoken on his behalf. But ladies, you're not alone. Let me talk about you for a second too. (laughs) Ladies, you harmlessly say, sweetheart, don't forget that the trash is coming tomorrow morning. So you need to put out the trash before you go to bed tonight. As those words take flight, as those words leave her mouth and before they get to his ear in the middle, Satan's messing and playing with them all and he takes those harmless words and he begins to say this and all the husband hears is, get up you lazy bum and take out the trash. What was an innocent message now is a judgmental attack against what? His respect, his honor, who he is as a man. Now all of a sudden, he is hot to trot, she is hot to trot. And now there is what? Dissension and disunity in the home. Why? Because Satan is a liar, the prince of the air, and an accuser of the brethren. Can you see something here? He wants to accuse, destroy, to manipulate and divide. He takes harmless words and he doesn't stop with just words. He does it also through thoughts. He does it also through actions. He takes our actions, our ways. He twists them and manipulates them and fabricates insults from your spouse that will trigger a defensive remark and start a fight. Now, I know that we all have the ability to be malicious with our words and actions. But for most of us, most of the time, it's not a case that we want to be malicious. It would be silly for us to be malicious against the love of our life. And most of the time, it's a misunderstanding. We're not trying to pick a fight, but we find ourselves in a fight. Anyone know what I'm talking about? We cannot allow Satan to reign in our marriage by causing offense, hurt, manipulation, that will put us into a place of hiding, covering, and separation. Well, I'm not going to talk to him anymore for the rest of the night. I don't even want to be around her. I'm just going to go outside and pretend like I'm cutting the grass, and I'm definitely not going to cut it, because that's exactly what she wants me to do, and I'm not going to do (laughs) what she wants me to do. Do you know isolation, covering, and hiding is one of Satan's greatest strongholds that he can... Really work upon you in the Bible says this in Proverbs 18, verse 1. It says these words A man or a woman who isolates themselves seeks their own desire, it's a selfish desire, my own way, seeks my own self desire. But no- notice what else happens, and I'm going to rage against all wise judgment. I'm not going to make the right decisions and choices through my life in isolation. The New Living Translation says a recluse is self-indulgent, snarling at every sound principle of conduct. But you see, when you isolate yourself, you're not facing those issues and problems. And then they grow into bitterness. They grow into resentment. They grow into strife. And they'll ultimately grow into a separation or perhaps even divorce. With every sin, we have the opportunity to forgive or not. Satan doesn't want us to do that. So he picks at your mind and he picks at your thoughts. He picks at those wounds that maybe your spouse has inflicted upon you. And he begins to infect them until your whole outlook towards your husband or your wife is completely wrong. They just said one word wrong. But now everything about them is wrong. He's just a pig. Cannot stand him. Don't want to be around him. And it was just a word that could have been addressed. It could have been handled. But we cover and hide. And we don't deal with. We fester. And we allow those things to grow and grow and grow. And then Satan convinces you that you should never forgive. Because he or her, they don't deserve your forgiveness. Then in all of this, we somehow believe that our bitterness will cause the other person pain. Choosing not to forgive is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person will get sick from it. And we hide. We, we drink the poison we, and then we hide and we wait, we watch and we see. And we keep watching without realizing all the time it's eating away at our soul And it's really destroying us. But pastor, they don't deserve my forgiveness. What if I told you this today? That you need forgiveness more than they do. They don't deserve it. But what if I was to tell you that you need it more than they need it? Because you see, unforgiveness against them will always and also put a war between you and God. You need forgiveness. Well, they don't deserve it. You need forgiveness. You need forgiveness to happen. Well, they've done too much this time, Pastor. You need forgiveness. Well, if they loved me, they would have never said that. You need forgiveness. They just don't, they just constantly ignore my feelings. It's like I'm not even there. You need that forgiveness. Pastor, I've already forgiven them, and they're doing the same thing again. You need their forgiveness. I want to read a story to you today, and I know it's quite a few verses, but I want you to follow along with me quickly today. It comes from Matthew chapter 18. I'll just follow on the screen, Tammy, if you can keep with me. Therefore the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking, is like a certain king who wanted to settle the accounts which his ser- with his servants. And when he had begun to settle his accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, but he was not able to pay his master, so that his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and the payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, please have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Listen to me. The debt that he had was so great. In fact, the the amount that they use in the word of God was basically painting the picture of an unpayable debt. There was no way humanly possible he or anyone else could pay that debt. And then here's the contrast. A hundred denarii, something that was so small, an easy payable debt. And that servant laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. So his Fellow servants fell down at, a fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Remember, this is the one that did that same act and he was forgiven so much. And now here is someone that has something against him and he is now standing in that position of judgment over them and that person's begging saying, please have patience with me and I'll pay you all. And he would not, but he went and threw him in prison till he should pay the debt. And really the thought is this, the guy could never pay the debt because you can't make a living in prison in those days and they would put you in prison till you'd pay. So basically he was shut in, would probably never be able to get out. So when his fellow servants, those around, saw what had been done, they were very grieved. They were really upset. And they came and told the master, the first guy in the story, what had been done. Then the master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me, because you asked me, should you not have also had compassion On your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry, and he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you from his heart who does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Quite a story there. Quite a story. I didn't make that up. That's in the Word of God. And here's the question I want to ask you today. What have you been forgiven from? What has God forgiven you from in your life? Because I'm telling you right now, I don't even have to know everything about your life. I'm just telling you, you were forgiven of a debt that you could not pay. You were forgiven of something that you could never have earned or never have worked off. It was so big, it was so gross, it was so humongous that God had to die and take your place upon a cross. So now what does He require of us? He requires of us to do the same. Look what it says in Colossians 3 verse 13. That we are to bear one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave me. My life, so also must do. So also must you do. Let me present it this way. Maybe that person, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's someone else. They've done an awful thing. They've done something against you, but it's a one thing. Begin to picture the fact that that one thing is stacked up against all the things that you have ever done against God. Think about all the ways that we've displeased God and the ways that we've failed God. And look at your life and the balance of them with that one thing and all those things that you've done against God. But yet God chose to forgive you despite everything that you have done. And God says in the same way that I've shown you grace and mercy, you need to show grace and mercy over that one thing. Now I know you may say, well, it's easy for God to forgive us because he's God but it's harder for us. I'm telling you, yes, it's harder, but it's still possible. It's still possible. It's still possible. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice to pay the debt that we could never work off. Our forgiveness came at a steep price. Now what's our response? We've got to make a choice. Yes, it's not easy because we're not God, but we can still choose. We can make a choice today to forgive. And as we see in that parable that we just read, in our attempt to punish others or our spouse, think about it as our spouse, in our attempt to punish our spouse, we really sentence ourselves to be tortured and imprisoned. Isn't that what the story said? Because of the way he treated someone else, he himself found himself tortured and imprisoned. Satan wants nothing more than to destroy your marriage. Since he was kicked out of heaven, he has worked tirelessly to bring man down to his world. He wants to bring your marriage down included. He wants you to be another statistic of failure. We are never going to change Satan's ways, but we can change ours. We can change ours by stopping, supporting his cause, by supplying him with the weapons to destroy our spouse. Did you hear that? We supply him with the tools that he needs to destroy the one that we said to love and to cherish, for better, for worse, till sickness to us, you know, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Let me talk about forgiveness for a moment. Look at this statement. Forgiveness doesn't make them right but it makes you free. Forgiveness never makes them right, but it sets you free. Let me try and explain that for a moment. Forgiveness is a rewarding virtue. Matthew six fourteen says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive yours. Notice forgiveness is a rewarding virtue. That's why I said you need to forgive. It's about you. Come on, forgiveness is one sided. No matter what they choose to do or no matter what they say, you've got to clear up that avenue between you and God again. It's a rewarding virtue because as you forgive men, God's going to forgive your life. Forgiveness will kill, or forgiveness will kill the bitterness that will eat in our hearts and restores a healthy relationship. But it's not a natural response in pain. It's not a natural response for us to do. It's a choice that we have to choose. Remember, where did we leave Adam and Eve? I'm almost finished with this message. We find Adam and Eve hiding. They were covered in their shame. But that's not the end of the story. That's not where God wants us. What was our thought? That we would develop a healthy habit that would face and resolve all conflicts. God asks them a question quickly. Look, Genesis 3 verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? It's not because God doesn't know. He knows and he sees all things. Do you know that God even knows your thoughts before you've even thought them? an incredible God we serve, yet He still chooses to love us. That's wonderful. That's grace. That's mercy. But notice this. His grace and mercy is given to us with no exemptions, no exclusions, and no blackout dates. He makes it available for us. All we have to do is come clean to confess, to repent, and find the healing that's needed to bring restoration. But what do we see in God's hand of forgiveness that has been offered up to man? What do we see many times our response to it? Are you ready? God's grace and mercy, where are you at? He was asking Adam and Eve as the opportunity for them to come clean. Come on, God's given us the opportunity every day to come clean with each other, to say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Would you help me through this? Would you deal with me? And we're even giving you some tools that can help you do that. It's going to change your marriage and your home. But look at what's still in our pride and our stubbornness many times is our response. Verse 10 through 13. So he said, Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and then I was afraid and I hid because I was naked. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Notice God gives him another chance. But what's his response? Then the man said, it was the woman that you gave me. She gave me of the tree and I ate. So the Lord turned to the woman and said, is this true? What is it that you've done? And the woman said, it was the serpent." That deceived me and I ate. Notice this Adam and Eve were given an opportunity to come clean and confess and say, I'm sorry. But what did they do? They covered, they excused, they passed the blame on. In fact, Adam even blamed God. He said, It was the woman that, bam, you gave me God. And then Eve says, oh, it wasn't me, it was the serpent. I'm telling you right now, you can find justification in everything you want. You can turn on TV shows today, and the secrets in relationships are everywhere. Don't tell your husband. Parents, don't tell the kids. Kids, don't tell the parents. The secrecy, the cover-up that's happening. But what, uh, may I remind you, what happened as a result of mankind not coming clean with God, God banished them from paradise. God put them out of the garden. Still loved them, but he put them out from that place. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. Repentance is first acceptance, then turning away. Repentance is to first accept. You see, we've got to have repentance in our hearts. We've got to have repentance towards each other. It's first accepting. I was wrong. I said wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. That's what it is. Coming clean with each other. Being totally transparent with each other again. Not allowing your nakedness to be shame, but now allowing your shame once again to become naked. What do I mean? Exposing it so it can be dealt with and it can be handled. And then repentance is turning away. Repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry, and going straight back there. But repentance is first accepting the fault, but then saying, I'm never going to go that route again. My life is going to be turned around. That will set a fire in your marriage again. Remember, I wanted to talk about pursuit and passion. Hey, repentance, forgiveness will set a fire in your marriage that will blaze and that you will never see such great things happening. But you know what else? It's not just repentance, forgiveness. It's living with humility with each other. Unforgiveness, pride, stubbornness. My rights are like buckets of water. That will be tossed onto the flame of your marriage. Satan will see, stop at nothing to see your marriage burn out. We've got to come clean with God. Proverbs twenty-eight, thirteen: He who covers sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. What did Ruth Graham say? The title of our message? Marriage is the union. Of two good forgivers. I don't know what they've done to you. I don't know what you've done to them. I don't know why you're covered and hiding. But I'm telling you right now, it's not worth being banished. It's not worth being separated for eternity. God's grace and mercy is available for each one of you. All today you have to do is make the choice to forgive. Is it easy? Is it the natural response? No, it's not. And if you struggle to do that, remind yourself first and foremost, I need forgiveness more than they do because I've got to make it right between me and God. But secondly, remind yourself, look at everything God forgave me from. Look at everything I was, but he still chose to love me. And he now gives me the opportunity to choose to forgive them. The person that you're hiding from person that you're saying no way from is the person that was the dream of your life the person that you love more than anyone else refuse to allow god to separate because what god has joined together let nothing separate would you stand to your feet with me today
0: we would like to thank you for listening to our message on together we pray that what you have just heard will change your life and bring new freedom to your marriage and home. If you need any more information or just someone to listen, we are always here for you. Call us at area code 225-274-1607 or email us at at hflc.us. or visit our website at www.hflc.us. Have a blessed day and remember, when you put God first, everything you do will prosper.